Okay, so we have, uh, we're still in Revelation, and we're going to try and, try and cover two chapters today, Revelation chapter 10 and Revelation chapter 11. Um, often seen as what they call a parenthesis or a bracket within the, the narrative of, or the story, the, the timeline of Revelation. So we had... Just to recap, we had the initial uh, in, in, in chapter one where, where John um, sees um, he sees Jesus, the risen, the risen lamb. We see um, the, the letters to the churches in chapters two and three. And then John is brought up to heaven, into heaven to, to, to see the heavenly throne, God in his glory. And Jesus in, 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 in Revelation chapter 5 in, in, his, in his risen glory. And then we have the seven seals. We have the, we have the, the scroll of the seven, seven seals. And, and who is able to open them? No one is able to open them except the Lamb. And then we see the 144,000. In Revelation chapter 7, from every tribe, oh sorry, for every tribe of Israel, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. And what's interesting in, in that, those 12 tribes, there was never that configuration of 12 tribes in the history of Israel. So <clears throat> we see the tribe of Manasseh. Uh, we see the tribe of Joseph, even though Manasseh is Joseph's son. Um, we see the tribe of Levi. But we don't see the tribe of Ephraim, and we don't see the tribe of Dan. For some reason, they're excluded. So we have the 12 tribes, but not in a, in a configuration that we would have seen in the Old Testament, which is uh, quite significant. Some people think, uh, a lot of commentators think, that that relates to the idolatry that was this, uh, the gross idolatry that was committed by Dan and Ephraim in the book of Judges. You can go back and have a look at that yourself. Um, but then we see John, he hears of these 144,000 and how they're sealed, and then he looks. And what he hears and what he sees are two different things. So he hears about the 144,000. When he looks, he sees people from every tribe tongue and nation and similarly earlier he hears the, about the line of Judah and he sees the lamb the lamb who was slain so that brings us up to Revelation chapter 6 I think that's 6 yeah sorry sorry 6 is um, chapter 6 is I said the, the seals, who can open the seals? Only the Lamb, he opens the seals, and we see the seals being opened, and the judgment coming upon the earth, the initial judgment. Chapter seven, they say, we see the, um, thank you, we, we see the, uh, the, the, the 144,000, and then every tribe and tongue and nation, nation uh, redeemed. And then chapter 8, we have, if you like, an escalation of God's judgment. So we go from the, the seals to the trumpets. We have the seven trumpets. And in chapter 8, we have the first, um, in chapter 8, we have the first four trumpets. And in chapter 9, last week, Rufus brought us through the fifth and sixth trumpet. And so we see an escalation in intensity, if you like, in terms of the judgments. And we see even though the judgments escalate, the people do not repent. They don't repent of their sorceries, their immorality, their idolatry, idols of gold, Brass, silver, stone, and wood. And we, we can see the correlation today with 
um, you know, people having their security in worldly possessions, whether it's houses, careers, jobs. We see the immorality. Immorality is rampant today, not just in terms of obviously different practices, but even on the internet we have the pornography, we have sorcery. Another word for sorcery is actually, uh, it's, it's often used as pharmacia, which is drugs. So there's a lot of modern day parallels. We've got murders, a lot of murders going on. So a lot of these things that people did not repent of in this sixth trumpet we see today and we even see it in the church sometimes. So these six trumpets, just for a reminder, the last two trumpets were, um, it appears essentially demonic. They came from, from the abyss. We have the, the, the horde of locusts um, who, have, who don't really look like locusts, but they are locusts. And then we have uh, the 200 million uh, the army of, of the 200 million horsemen. So it's building up, isn't it? It's building up the, the, the level of intensity of judgment is building up. And then we have, as I said, what I say, like a parenthesis, sort of a, a pause in that the intensity of the judgment. And it starts here in, in chapter 10. So let's read, let's turn to chapter 10 and chapter 11, see if we can get to chapter 10 and 11 today. Chapter 10, verse 1. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried out with a loud voice as when a ro lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are on it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Chapter 11. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months, and I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this matter, manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. 
Then those, then those from the people's tribes, tongues and nations will see their, their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life of God entered them and they stood to their feet, on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here and they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tent of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on the thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake and great hail. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is there to encourage us. You give us a word to encourage us, Lord, to exhort us and to train us up um, in righteousness, Lord. But without your Holy Spirit, Lord, um, your word are just letters on a page. So we pray, Father, you'll give us your Holy Spirit now to understand the things of God. Amen. Now, so chapters 10 and 11, I'm taking them together because they kind of fit together in that they relate to the seventh trumpet. So as I said, we left off at the sixth trumpet. Um, now we're looking at the seventh trumpet. Now again, there's hardly a verse goes by in Revelation without <clears throat> controversy, without dispute as to its meaning. And let's, let's be very honest about that. Um, this book has been a source of great contention. It's been a source of great confusion um, and un unnecessary conflict. Okay? And the, that book, the book was never intended for that. So it's worth, when we, when we study it, it's worth bearing in mind, it's not about being right all the time, okay? Because for, for, for virtually every person who has studied it, there is a slightly different interpretation. I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but you know what I mean? Many godly people have, have come to this book and they've had different views, very different views. So we don't want, we want to, as somebody says, we don't want to become obsessed with it, but at the same time, we don't want to avoid it because it, it, it does seem hard to understand. So with that, um, you might, I might get some of the things wrong here, okay? <laughs> um, so which you, he who has no sin, you can fa cast the first stone. <laughs> so if you know everything, great. But I, 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 I do want to encourage you if nothing else from this study of Revelation that we do, if nothing else that you get, it encourages you to study the Word of God in its totality. Not just the book of Revelation, but the whole counsel of God, the whole Bible. 
Okay? As I said before, something like 60% of the book of Revelation is taken directly or indirectly from elsewhere in Scripture and primarily the Old Testament and the Old Testament prophets. Okay, so I was, I was looking at the, one of the songs there and, the, and the, the, the print was quite small and I couldn't really see it very well so I put on my glasses and it became a lot clearer. Similarly, if we want to understand the book of Revelation, we need to put on our Old Testament glasses. We need to understand or read the Old Testament and, and understand it in light of Revelation and vice versa. Okay, so if nothing else comes from this uh, book, the study of this book, it, I encourage you to read the Word of God, study the Word of God, prove yourself as someone who is um, a, 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 a man or a woman of, of the Word. Okay, um, it's really, really important. The other, the other thing that I think has really struck me, it's, it's humbled me, believe it or not, <laughs> it's humbled me reading this because it just, it, it, it is quite hard. It's quite hard to kind of land on, on what you, act, you personally think, regardless of what it actually is, even what you personally think, it can be hard. You, you can flip-flop from one day to the next because there's a lot of good arguments on, on different sides. But one thing it has humbled me about more than anything else is my lack, my lack of anticipation for the coming of Jesus. So I haven't really studied this book for a while and the more I study it, the more the reality sinks in that this is something that is going to happen. And we can almost, it can almost become part of our, our creed, our orthodoxy, you know, that we believe that the Lord will return, you know, but it, it becomes an intellectual um, understanding, and it's not something that excites us in our day to day. Now, might, we might get excited when we see things on the news and go, oh, this, oh, you know, we're coming near the end but excites us in anticipation of the reality of the coming of the Lord. So there is a reality, Jesus is going to come, but it's not just going to come, one day he's going to come and that's it. There's going to be a new reality, a new heaven and a new earth. And are we living for that? Are we anticipating that? Are we excited about that? Are we fearful about it? So it's humbled me. As, as I've read the word, I've realized how little oil I have in my lamp. How much oil do you have in your lamp? So, and, and, and sorry, whenever we, we look at, at the, in, in, the, in, the, in the epistles or in, in Jesus, when, when he's speaking in the Olivet Discourse, in, in the Gospels, and we, we see the end approaching, and they're talking about the end times, there is nearly always an exhortation to get ready, to prepare yourself, to encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching, to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to have oil in your lamp, to be like the sheep, not like the goats, to love your brothers and sisters in need, Okay, so before we kind of delve into the, you know, the interpretation of it, let's remember the bigger picture. And the bigger picture, especially for, for the saints at the time who was initially addressed to, they were going through persecution. Um, they needed perseverance. They needed patience. And they needed faith, as it says in Revelation. Perseverance. Um, patience and faith. Now, we, I don't think we've reached that level of persecution by any stretch of the imagination. But again, um, this should be an exhortation for us to persevere, in, and as Monchi says, you know, in whatever, whatever situation we're going through, to persevere, to be patient, and to have faith in our God.
Okay, enough avoiding the actual text. <laughs> Let's get into it. Okay, so we, we look at, at chapter 10, verse 1, and straight away there's a question mark. Who is this mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, with a rainbow on his head, his face like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire? Who is that? Obviously, Revelation does not explicitly say who it is, so we are left to try and interpret it. And interpretations have been different interpretations. One is that it's Jesus. Okay, some interpret this as Jesus. Why? Because he's clothed with a cloud. A rainbow is on his head. We see back in in in, in Revelation, in the beginning of Revelation, uh, a rainbow. Um, his face is shining like the sun. His feet are like pillars of fire. Now, uh, it was um, it wasn't pillars of fire earlier in Revelation. It was uh, burnished bronze. But there's a similar um, magnificent, magnificent, magnificence about it, and there are parallels, certainly, in both Revelation um, and elsewhere in the Bible, of this, this imagery. The cloud, the rainbow, face light shining like the sun. Excuse me. Others say it's Michael, the archangel. How they work that one out, I do not know, but that's, that's certainly an interpretation. And Michael the Archangel, we know, was essentially um, the angel who, who was assigned to, to Israel. And then others say it was a mighty angel that we do not know. We can't determine who it was. <clears throat> Personally, I think it's probably I, I, I would lean towards the latter. It's a mighty angel. However, the mighty angel does seem to have authority given from God. So he's acting on the authority of God or the authority of Jesus. He had a little book in his hand, open his hand. What is that book? Some think it's the, the scroll with the seven seals that only Jesus, only the Lamb could open, okay? Now, back in that day, they didn't really have books, so it would have, it would have been a scroll of some sort. Uh, it was a but it was a little scroll. Was it little relative to the size of the mighty angel? Uh, we, don't, we don't know. He cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. Again, there's the, the uh, similarity with the line of Judah. Crying like, uh, roaring like a lion, but again, it doesn't explicitly say Jesus. So perhaps again, he only has the authority that was given to him from 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 God, from Jesus. And when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, "Seal up the things." which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them down. Write them. <laughs> a bit unfortunate in a way, isn't it? <laughs> you know, we all want to know what did the seven thunders say, but, you know, John was told to, to seal them up. Psalm 29. Oh, Psalm 29 for a minute. familiar psalm, psalm 29 verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the water, the God of glory thunders, the Lord is over many waters, the voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is full of majesty, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars, yes the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon, he makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like a wild ox, the voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. So I think I counted seven voices of the Lord there. 
and there's a voice that thunders. So some people think this is the voice of the Lord. Certainly is a magnificent voice. Um, an awe-inspiring voice. But we don't know what the voice says. And he sets his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. So most, most commentators think that's probably the land of Israel and the sea is possibly the Mediterranean or it could be a more generic, just land and sea and this is sort of authority over both land and sea and we know that Jesus obviously um, created about the land and the sea and everything therein. Again, we don't know whether it is the angel is as a representative of Jesus. Um, but I'd say it, 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 it seems to be that. Um, <clears throat> but open, open to the correction on that one. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and the land raised up his hand in heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever. So this, the fact that he's swearing by him who lives forever and ever, you know, it's unusual um, for Jesus to, to, to be taking a note. You know, Jesus says himself, don't swear by, you know, um, by heaven or earth, or by, 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 by heaven, um, or earth. Is it by heaven or earth? You shall not swear, swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths in the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So the point that Jesus was making there was, you know, let your yes be a, yes and your no be no. You know, just be, be truthful. You shouldn't have to be swearing. Um, at the same time, you know, the Lord, we know the Lord uh, made a note to Abraham. So, regardless, we know that this is basically, and, and, and Revelation is saying it, that, it, that, that um, they are swearing, whoever it is, is they're swearing by him who lives forever and ever, who created the things, heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. So that is the main point, that there should be a delay no longer. And what is the delay? What is the delay about? So we see in verse 7, But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. So God, the mystery of God, is going to be finished, revealed as he declared to his servants the prophets. So here we have again the importance of understanding what God spoke through the prophets. And it's, a, it's an important point to remember that when God spoke to the prophets, it wasn't always very black and white. You know, with the benefit of hindsight, we, we understand a lot of what, what the prophets spoke about. But even when, G when Jesus came first, Israel was expecting this messianic ruler to deliver them um, from, from the Roman oppressors. But it didn't actually turn out like they expected. So even when we read Revelation now, we think, oh, this is what, exactly how it's going to turn out. Again, we need uh, to, be, to, to read it humbly. To read it humbly. And the secrets of the Lord are with those who fear him. So to read it with a fear of the Lord, not thinking, oh, we know, we know we have this secret knowledge or we have this great knowledge and we're definitely right. We do need to be humble um, as we read it. But the point here is that the mystery of the God would be finished as he declared to his servants and prophets. So it's a fulfillment of what the prophets had said in the Old Testament. So it's not being delayed any longer. And it appears to be the judgment of God 
and the Lord's coming. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it, eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Now this is not the first time that this example of somebody eating a book um, we see the same uh, with Ezekiel in, in chapter 3 of Ezekiel 3.14 and Ezekiel's spirit became bitter and this was a time when Ezekiel uh, was God was revealing to Ezekiel the judgment on Judah and Jerusalem so there could be something very similar here. So we know that the word of the Lord is sweet, as sweet as honey to our, our lips. Um, but there's a bitterness here which speaks probably of the judgment. And he said to me in verse 11, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So it's it seems to be a very severe prophecy that is going to take place essentially for the whole world. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there, but leave out the court which is outside the temple. Do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So here we have yet another very contentious, well a couple of very contentious, I'd say almost three very contentious um, aspects of Revelation in three verses. The first is the temple. Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. So what temple are, are we talking about here? We know obviously that Herod's temple, which was at the time in the time of Jesus, and which Jesus predicted uh, would uh, would be ruined, destroyed, was destroyed in, in, in 70 AD. If we assume that Revelation was written after 70 AD, as most scholars do, it couldn't be talking about that temple. So, what temple is it talking about? Is it a, is it a metaphorical temple? Is it the, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, like we, it talks about us being the temple. In Ephesians, it talks about the church being the temple, the temple of God. Or is it a, a literal temple or is it a heavenly temple? There's, there's a few contenders. Is it the temple prophesied or showed to Ezekiel in great detail? Ezekiel 40 to Ezekiel 43, where um, it's revealed in great detail to Ezekiel the measurements and the similarity here is that uh, Ezekiel had a rod where he was measuring uh, using it to measure uh, the, the, the temple answers on a postcard <laughs> I, you know I think it's, it's, it's again it's one of those ones that is actually it is open, open to debate Right? Certainly there's talk at the moment of, in Israel, that there's, there's this society in Israel who are, you know, seeking to rebuild a, a temple. That may be true, that may not, may not be true. What, what's difficult, I suppose, from, from a Christian perspective, is, you know, that when Jesus came, he was the ultimate and final sacrifice. So he, he abolished the law. Or you know the code, and and there's no need for for sacrifices per se because Jesus is the final sacrifice. The the, the veil was torn in two, and it's not. I don't think it's any coincidence that the the temple was destroyed soon after. Okay. Does that preclude then another temple being built? What would be the what would be the purpose of it in God's scheme? 
I don't know. Okay, so that's where we're kind of in, in the realm of, of guesswork, of conjecture a bit. Some people say, oh yeah, well a temple will be built, but it will be for um, the false Messiah or, or the false Christ. So there will be a, a system of worship set up, but it won't be uh, from, from God. Anyway, it's, it's, one to, it's one to think about. Again, it's not, it's not something critical. And as somebody said, you know, what the word shouts, we should shout. What the word whispers, we should whisper. And what the word is silent on, we should be silent on. Okay? And here, I think it whispers something about a temple. Um, and again, I would just exhort you, encourage you, go and study the word of God. Leave your preconceptions. It, it's, it's very hard to leave our preconceptions from what we've, we've been taught, okay? And I know, for example, in Calvary, there's a very sort of, I'm not sure what the teaching exactly is on the temple, but I know in Calvary there's a very clear teaching on, on kind of the rapture. Um, but we need, first and foremost, to be faithful to the word of God. Okay, what's in the word of God? And we need to, to read the word of God. Somebody said, I, I, somebody said a very good thing. Said, you know, you get your, you have your old iPad or your old phone, and you want to get a new app to put on it. Sometimes you can't because your your phone is too old. It, it won't. The hardware on your phone won't be compatible with the software on your app. And sometimes we can we we kind of learn things, and it's very hard to bring any any new new ideas on because we're we're kind of so stuck. In, in, in what we've uh, learned up until now. So all I would say is be like the Bereans. Go and study the word yourself. I can't emphasize enough. There's so much to study here. There really is that one of the great things it says, you know, you would be blessed when you read this book. But one of the reasons is that when you read the book, you're forced to go back and read the rest of the scriptures. So it's very important. But all we know that there is a temple and on the outside uh, it's given to the Gentiles and they'll be treading the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Okay? 42 months. So this is another big one. And this comes from the book of Daniel. As I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with the book of Daniel. It talks about time, times, and half a time. And we've got here 42 months. In another place, it also uh, talks about 1,260 days, which isn't quite, isn't exactly three and a half years, but it talks about three and a half years. You know, variations on the same theme. We have this coming up again and again. A lot of biblical scholars think this is directly related to the book of Daniel. Okay? And particularly about the, it's the length of the tribulation. Some others would say that actually no, it's it's kind of a it's a phraseology. It's a it's it's just a kind of a, a way of saying things for for a time. On the on a simple reading of it, I would say it looks like three and a half years. And the other point is when we're reading this, you know, <clears throat> there will be lots of people reading this go, oh you need special knowledge, special understanding to understand this. And only a few have it. You know, God says the kingdom of God belongs to children. So we should read it simply. Okay? At the same time, there's the milk and then there's the meat. Right? <laughs> we give the, mil the milk to the children and the meat uh, to, to when we're more mature. But I, I think all I'm saying is we shouldn't overcomplicate it. We shouldn't overcomplicate it, but we do need to study again the Old Testament and the New Testament. And not just somebody's interpretation of the Old Testament vis a vis the New Testament. Study it ourselves. But it appears to be a, a period of three and a half years um, when there is um, the Holy City, is the, which presumably is, is Jerusalem is tread underfoot. Again, some people see the church as a new Jerusalem. 
So is it the church being persecuted? That's, that's, that's another one to think of. And then we have the two witnesses. And they will prophesy 1,260 days, which is essentially three and a half years, in sackcloth. So why are they prophesying in sackcloth? Obviously because it's a time of mourning, a time of sadness. This is not, these are not good prophecies. They're, these are prophecies of judgment. And these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours, devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. They have the power to shut heaven so the rain falls in the day of the prophecy. And they have power over water to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all the plagues as often as they desire. Again, the two witnesses. Who are they? It's a, it's a source of great debate. The most, probably the most common interpretation are that it's Elijah and Moses. Why Elijah and Moses? We see in terms of what they do, in terms of uh, the plagues uh, to, to shut heaven, as Elijah did, the plagues with, with Moses. We know Elijah was taken up from heaven. He didn't die. Moses, it talks about in Jude, about you know, Michael, the archangel, you know, fighting for the body of Moses. There's some people say he didn't physically die. They both appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. So there are definitely two major candidates. Some, some other people say it's, um, it could be Enoch could be one of them. Enoch who, was, who walked with God and was no more. Right? And he prophesied of, of a day of, of judgment. So possibly Enoch. Um, it could be, some people say it could be representative of the law and the prophets, the word of God. Because Elijah represents prophecy, Moses represents the law. I think I've, I've seen some people say it could be the church and, and Israel. Um, I'm, not making, I'm not making it easy here for you because it is, it is kind of difficult to understand. But all we know, taken from a simple reading, is that there will be two witnesses uh, who, will, who will prophesy for three and a half years. And they'll have a lot of power and the earth and humanity won't be able to do anything about it. Humanity won't like it, but then rising from the abyss is the beast. And he'll make war against them and kill them. And they'll lie on the street. And what streets will they lie on? Well, it says the great city, which spiritually, the great city is often referred to as, as Babylon, particularly in Revelation, the great city of Babylon. But it says the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, right? So we know Sodom, we know the immorality in Sodom, we know the, the idolatry in, in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified, which was Jerusalem. So it looks like it is Jerusalem again, okay? It looks like it was Jerusalem, and it certainly fits in to the fact um, that the holy city was being trampled under for 42 months. So it looks... Now the question is, is it a literal Jerusalem or is it a metaphorical Jerusalem, i.e. the church? Um, I'm not going to go to the stake on that one, uh, but it appears to be a literal uh, Jerusalem. So when they were killed, the world was happy because obviously when the beast killed them, obviously uh, they'd been proclaiming um, judgment. The world didn't want to hear it. The world did not want to hear it. So true still today. The world does not want to hear the reality of their sin. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here and they ascended to heaven in a cloud. And their enemies saw them in the same hour there was a great earthquake. A tent of the city fell in the earth. Craig, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming. So we had three woes. Remember in, in Revelation, um, the end of Revelation chapter 8, talks about three woes. So this is the end of the second woe. This is the end of the second woe. They're taken up. The two witnesses are taken up. 
and there is an earthquake. Again, um, I think it's probably best to, t to take a literal interpretation of this unless there's an obvious metaphorical inter interpretation. Um, there isn't an obvious one to me, but, but again, study the word and you, you, may, you may find something uh, more symbolic, if you like. So that's the end of the second woe. So then we come to the seventh trumpet. So obviously, with each of these seals and with each of the trumpets and with each of the woes or the, the bowls of wrath, it's this, the seventh one is, is the complete one, the final one, the culmination. And we see the culmination here. It's a very important trumpet, the seventh trumpet. And this is where it gets a bit contentious again. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of, of our Lord. Sorry, then the seven angels sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God and on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, you give thanks, we give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is, who is and was, and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations are angry, and your wrath has come. The time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and you should destroy those who destroy the earth. So, this is a time, this is a time where the kingdoms of the world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. This is a time where um, judgment is on those who destroy the earth because of their sin. But also the reward comes for the servants, the prophets and the saints who fear God's name, who fear his name. So, I suppose the, 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 the big point here is that Jesus is coming back and he is going to bring justice. Jesus is coming back, as I said before, he came as the suffering servant, he came as the lamb, he's coming back as the lion, he came as the, the redeemer, he's coming back as the judge. And this is the point where he comes back and um, the, the kingdoms of the world, he, he, he takes back what is rightfully his and he judges the earth. And uh, the question that often vexes a lot of people is, well, okay, when is that now? Is that, is that, is that pre, post, tribulation? Because we have, we've had the trumpets and we still have to have the, 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 the bowls We've had the seals. When is this? Again, there's a lot of debate. Um, I'm going to submit to you my own personal view, right? And it's, and it's purely that. And it's, it's not, it's not uh, sealed uh, by, any, by any stretch of imagination. But from... My reading of, of the scripture, I would certainly veer towards a post-tribulation coming of the Lord. Okay, and it, I, I, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't even even that term is is maybe a bit um, misleading because I do believe the wrath of God, the, the ultimate wrath of God on the earth and upon the inhabitants of the earth, is is going to come once. Jesus returns. That's in the, in the seven bowls. But it would appear, from what I can see, that there, there, there is a case for saying that there is a post-tribulation. Now again, you know, Calvary would be very much uh, a pre-trib uh, view. So this isn't, 
this hasn't got the, uh, the blessing of, of Calvary and I, but I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. And again, I want you as, as Bereans to go and study. Go and study the word. Um, but I'll give you a couple of reasons why I, I think that that might be the case. One, it talks about, it's the, it's the last trumpet, it's the final trumpet. Okay, and we know in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, you turn me to 1 Corinthians 15 briefly, a very familiar passage on uh, the rapture. Verse 50, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So, we have this last trumpet talked about by Paul. We have in, in Revelation the, the final trumpet, the seventh trumpet. There seems to be, on the face of it, again, on a simple reading, there seems to be a correlation between the two. Okay? You could, you can make an argument, with, well, actually, you know, the last trumpet is, it just means it's the trumpet at the end. You know, it's the last, it's the final trumpet. It's not. He didn't know about the seven trumpets that John had, had, had a vision of later on. And again, there's, there's a case for that, but there's certainly a, a correlation there. Okay. If we look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24. <clears throat> Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The star will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Uh, go to First Thessalonians. Paul is writing about uh, the day of the Lord. Concerning the, chapter five, concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labour pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day shall overtake you as a thief. You are all sons and light of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. If we take nothing from it, let's take that. Let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of, of faith and love as a helmet to hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain, obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. So this wrath here, is it the tribulation wrath, or is it the ultimate wrath of God? The ultimate wrath of God, um, essentially hell, the end the and the judgment on the earth at the very end. If we go up a bit into, into, into chapter 4, for this, verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we, are, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we will always be with the Lord. So there's a trumpet we're, but we, we escape the rot. But the question is, is that rot? What is that rot? Is that the, the tribulation? Is it part of the tribulation? Is it you know, the seven 
uh, trumpets? Is it the seven bowls? The seven seals? Second Thessalonians. Sorry, sorry, I'm kind of rushing through this because we, I'd love to, to do more of this. Um, but if we just look at second, second Thessalonians chapter two. Now, concerning the, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask, ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by the spirit or by word or by letter, as it is from us, as though the day of Christ has come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So again, this appears to be talking about um, the man, the, the Antichrist, who sits as God in the temple of God. So if there is a literal temple, that's where he would sit. Do you not remember these things when I was still with you and I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may, re may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawlessness, lawless one is according to the work of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, etc. So, we see that the day of the Lord Jesus Christ coming is not until after the, re the revealing of the man of lawlessness. Now, obviously those who hold a pre-trib view will have a very specific interpretation of that. I'm just, at the moment, going at a very simple reading of it. Just a simple reading. It's, it seems to suggest that, the, that Jesus comes after that, after the, uh, the, the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, Manchi, quite, quite unbeknownst to her, threw a spanner in the works uh, today when she, she shared Revelation chapter 3. So we, let's, let's just go to Revelation chapter 3 there for a second again. Um, and we, we'll, we'll finish in a minute. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. So, the hour of trial. It's in this undisputed there is an hour of trial coming on the whole world. And it's, it seems to suggest here that at least the church of Philadelphia, or the faithful church in general, will be kept from that. Okay? Which doesn't really go with the post-tribulation rapture, okay? So you can see how it gets, it gets complicated, okay? That said, in John chapter 17, verse 15, Jesus said, I do not pray that you should take them, praying to the Father, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So the church in Philadelphia were being kept from that day of trial, uh, or the hour of trial. Um, and here, um, Jesus praying the disciples will be kept from the evil one. And as far as I know, it's the same word. So. One might argue that the church could be here in this time of tribulation, but just as, as the 144,000 were sealed, and are that 144,000 a representation of every tribe, tongue, and nation as redeemed? Again, it's open to debate, but that they're sealed and they are not touched by the, the, sort of the, um, the judgment that, that is taking place. I'm putting that out there for you to think about, okay? I'm not putting it out there for a, to have a big church split. <laughs> but but to, to think about 
more generally, what is the significance of what we're reading for our daily lives? What is the significance? I said at the beginning, I say it again. We need to be prepared for the coming of the day of the Lord. Regardless of what, what view you take, prepare for the worst, and I don't mean the coming of the Lord, but prepare for the worst in terms of tribulation. Because Jesus talks about a great tribulation. He's talked to the disciples about a great tribulation. He also says, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So, and we, if we look around the world today, like, uh, some people argue that the, the sort of the, the pre-trib view of this is very much a Western-centric view. In other words, we haven't been going through tribulations that they go through in China, they go through in Pakistan, and Iran, and parts of Nigeria, and different parts of the world. We haven't been going through it. For, for them, tribulation is very much a real thing. And I think it's important for us, if nothing else, that we prepare, to say, uh, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And that it's absolutely consistent that Jesus um, you know, predicts tribulation, but he also uh, says he will keep us. Okay? He does predict tribulation, but he says that he will keep us. So we need to prepare all the more as we see the day approaching. All the more as we see the day approaching. So the, the, two, the two things that I'd like, or maybe, the, yeah, two things I'd like us to take home from this. One, study the Word of God. Study the Word of God um, like the Bereans. Study the Word of God. Now so more than ever. Not for, not to find all the answers, but study, as they say, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Study in the fear of God humbly. And secondly, prepare. Prepare that, you know, tribulation will come. Tribulation will come. We, might, we may escape the worst, but we may escape the bowls of wrath. But it, it appears, at least in my reading of it, that it's only at the, the, the seventh trumpet that, that Jesus comes. He may come earlier, but that doesn't mean that um, there will not be persecution. So we need, we need to prepare for it. Okay? Just because we're not experiencing it now, we need to prepare for it. Just, we're just hearing about the, um, on the news there recently about the gas, the gas shortages that are, are, are likely this, this winter. And everybody's panicking now about the gas shortage. How are we going to, you know, it's going to affect electricity. How are we going to heat our homes, all that sort of stuff. Nobody's prepared for it. It's come all of a sudden. Nobody prepared. We need to prepare for a time of persecution. It may not happen in our generation, or it may happen. It looks like more and more likely that it will happen. It looks more and more likely that it will happen. We need to prepare now. We need to put down our roots, uh, set in the foundations, study the Word of God now. And we need to think, finally, regardless of when the Lord comes, is your heart set on the new reality? Is your, what's exciting your heart? Is it the new reality of a new heaven and a new earth? Because it is a reality. It's going to happen. It will be a reality. We don't want to take us by surprise. As I said, when I read, I've been reading the word, I've gone, my mind isn't thinking like that. My mind is thinking about next week, the week after, tomorrow. It's not thinking about the new reality, and it is a reality. It is a reality. It is going to happen, and it's going to last quite a long time. So let's not be uh, like those, those foolish virgins who were surprised. It will come like a thief in the night to those who are not watching. 
But as Paul says, it shouldn't come like a thief in the night to you. You shouldn't be surprised. You should be expectant. Are we expectant? What are we sowing? What are we sowing at the moment? What are we, what are we sowing into? We hear about those lads being, um, being arrested or um, the guards coming after them. Like there was a huge harvest. There was a huge harvest um, at our fingertips. Are we, is our, is our mind, is our, are our hearts in tune with that? Do we even think about it? What are the desires of our heart? This book was written, the book of Revelation was written to encourage this church who many of them were kind of given up hope because you know, they were getting persecuted. They, were, they weren't seeing Jesus coming back. They were getting it from all sides, from the Roman authorities, from the, from the religious authorities. And this was to encourage them that Jesus is in control. Satan is on a leash. The only power that he has is what Jesus has given him. Yes, there is going to be problems, but Jesus is in control and he's coming back to institute a new kingdom. And that's what their, their, their vision should be. But are we, are we enthused by that? Or is it something that we believe? We give uh, intellectual assent to it, but we don't actually, it's not informing our day-to-day decisions. I know I've been convicted of that as I read the book of Revelation. 